0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Lockdown Viewing with Code St. Luke librarian Stephen Tomlinson. And for the next 20 minutes or more, I'll be talking about movies and television, while providing some recommendations for what to watch and where to watch them. This week, it's all about movie and television adaptations of John le Carré, the British author who passed away recently at the age of 89 years old. Le Carré was perhaps the greatest of all spy fiction writers, and as such, has had many of his novels adapted into movies or miniseries, including, perhaps most notably, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, in both cases. Le Carre's novels have long been tied up with the movies and TV, almost from the very beginning of his writing career, when his third novel, in 1965, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, was the first, and still one of the finest, to be made into a movie. Directed by American Martin Ritt, the austere black-and-white cinematography well reflects the memorably mordant lead performance from a depressed-seeming Richard Burton, all the better to convey the paranoia, cynicism, and confusion of the Cold War years. You know, an atmosphere of uncertainty is a difficult thing to perfect, and not only is it absolutely pivotal to Le Carre's output in general, but it's the defining factor of this movie version of The Spy Who Came In From the Cold. Making a movie about Cold War tensions during the Cold War certainly helped too. The Spy Who Came In From the Cold was released near the height of James Bond mania in the mid-1960s, but Burton's British agent, Alex Lemus, is no James Bond, that's for sure. In fact, he's tired of it all and just wants out and is prepared to take on one last job in return for a promised exit from the whole grubby business of the espionage world. But however imprisoned he is, at least in his own mind, he is a hero of sorts, Though, and again typical of Le Carré, he's more of an inaction man than an action hero. The author had once said that he owed a great deal to Ian Fleming for creating an audience for him. But in their relative degree of realism, filled with personal and professional portrayals, as well as the vivid, palpable threat of nuclear destruction, both Le Carré's books as well as the films derived from them, were almost consciously created to be read and viewed in opposition to the fantasy-filled world of James Bond. The Spy Who Came In From the Cold can be reserved as a DVD from the library, or watch it for cost on YouTube or Google Play. In either case, of course, it comes highly recommended by me. The Cold War was still in full swing when Le Carré adapted his own 1965 book, The Looking Glass War, in 1970, for director Frank Pearson. In this movie, sadly very difficult to see these days, either on DVD or digitally, the actor Anthony Hopkins, in one of his first screen roles, plays a British spy master who sends a German-speaking Polish defector into East Germany to check on missile sites. In addition to the defector character himself, many of the typical Le Carre elements are present here, such as a tired spy's mission, one last mission, to earn a new life, a civilian life, especially in the complicated context of a grown-up flawed sense of personal romance, ideological betrayal, and conflicted patriotism of a kind. Though a bit convoluted in its plot, also not untypical of Le Carré, The Looking Glass War, as a movie, does have among its several highlights a pair of characteristic, richly cynical intelligence establishment figures played by the actors Paul Rogers and Sir Ralph Richardson. Which reminds me that Le Carré's first novel, Call for the Dead, written in 1961, Was also adapted into a movie, but a little later, in 1966, by the American filmmaker Sidney Lamette. But it was retitled, for legal reasons, I think, as The Dudley Affair, and it stars James Mason, and is well worth seeking out if you can find it. Unfortunately, it's not available on DVD and doesn't seem to be available anywhere digitally, but I have seen it show up now and then. On TCM. Um, one of the most memorable things about The Deadly Affair is its superb soundtrack by Quincy Jones, though it has been some years since I last saw it. Much more memorably, I would—I think it's fair to say, um, are the BBC television miniseries adaptations of both Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy from 1979 and Smiley's people from 1982, I mean, they're they're both famously excellent, right? One of the biggest fans of these was John le Carré himself. I mean, so enamored was he with Alec Guinness' portrayal of the British spymaster George Smiley in these two adaptations that he would dedicate his future novel, The Little Drummer Girl, to the actor. These two miniseries adapt the first and third installments of the so-called Carla Trilogy of Books. Uh, That trilogy appeared as a complete uh, tome entitled The Quest for Carla in 1982, but the BBC decided to ignore the trilogy's middle novel, The Honorable Schoolboy, explaining at the time that Hong Kong production costs were just too high. Whereas, I guess, the grim little back alleys and safe houses more typical of uh, Le Carré's Britain could pretty much be filmed on the cheap. Nevertheless, to this day, no one has yet attempted to film The Honorable Schoolboy, either for television or as a movie. In Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Guinness's George Smiley is a somewhat disgraced MI6 operative brought out of forced retirement defined the Soviet agent, ensconced within the upper echelons of British intelligence, a mole hunt in the parlance of its characters. Like the book it is based on, Tinker, Tailor, Soldier, Spy is steeped in its own world of authentic spycraft terms, where, as another example, the upper level of British intelligence, MI6, is codenamed The Circus. As a BBC miniseries, this is what prestige television looked like way back in 1979 when it was heavily featured on PBS, which is where many of us, myself included, first encountered Le Carre's work. The series, at six and a half hours, is a true television classic best remembered for its labyrinthine plot and unforgettable performance by the legendary Guinness whose weary take on the aging spy, with his careful mannerisms and precise style of speech, is pitch perfect and well-reflected in the flat 16 millimeter cinematography of the series. The incredibly intricate plot is a web of intrigue and mystery, of course, as is only natural with Licoré, and where each new development leads to more and more mysteries concerning them all. The Soviet spy, who has been narrowed down to a small list of a few men operating at the very highest levels of the circus. And the suspects are each given code names themselves based off the old English rhyme, Tinker, Tailor, Soldier, Sailor. The deep cast of characters are all here sharply drawn and given their own sense of direction and purpose in each stage of the hunt. And as is typical of Le Carré, the double crosses and surprises—they await the viewer at every turn. Now, while this 1979 version of *Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy* is perhaps more demanding of modern viewers in following its 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 complicated plot, um, it is still vastly rewarding in the end, and it is something that I do hope soon to return to myself. Now, sequels don't often meet the standards set by their predecessors, Predecessors, excuse me, but Smiley's people, um, which followed Thinker, Teller, Soldier, Spy in 1982, uh, and despite the Considerable shoes that it had to fill in doing so still does a stellar job, especially with Alec Guinness returning as George Smiley. Now, he, he wasn't the first actor to play the part, that was James Mason in The Deadly Affair, although he had been renamed for legal reasons. But um, it was George Smiley that James Mason was, in fact, playing in The Deadly Affair. Nor would Guinness be the last actor to play George Smiley. Uh, with uh, Gary Oldman playing him more recently in the 2011 adaptation of Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy. But with Guinness's second stint as the espionage mastermind tussling with the KGB, he's still absolutely enthralling to watch. You know, we're in luck. Both of these BBC television adaptations of Tinker Tailor, Soldier, Spy, and Smiley's People are currently available to watch for free on YouTube. Catch them while you can. They may not be there forever. Now, so popular and critically acclaimed were these BBC treatments that they they really set a new benchmark for le Carré adaptations and for event TV generally. Back in the early nineteen eighties, while the movies themselves continued to look for the bigger picture, the key to unlock and understand international affairs, I would, I, 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 I would guess, <laughs> for armchair readers and viewers like me at home. Director George Roy Hill, perhaps best remembered for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and The Sting, um, took his own turn at adapting Le Carré with The Little Drummer Girl in 1984, just just about a year after the book's publication. I mean, such a hot property, so to speak, was Le Carré at the time. The Little Drummer Girl stars Diane Keaton, of all people, as a troubled American actor with a tricky personal relationship with the truth, who's recruited by Israeli intelligence to infiltrate a terrorist network. Now, it's a so-so movie that's been half-forgotten and much maligned. Roger Ebert himself, the famous critic, wrote at the time that it's not... Comprehensible and it's not involving, quote unquote. I disagree somewhat. I I remember it uh, fairly well, but uh, it it certainly is um, complicated. (laughs) As is, it's only fair to say, traditional with Le Carré. And perhaps because it's, if anything, a bit too faithful to the book, which, of course, is really hard to. You know, do justice, too, when compressing a full book, especially a Le Carre book, into just two hours. Nevertheless, the performances are largely excellent. I mean, any movie with David Sujet playing a, a villain bears more than a glance. And Klaus Kinski's flamboyant take on Israeli super-spy Martin Kurtz is a marvelous piece of overacting that balances Keaton's somewhat quieter approach. The film is also noteworthy for an early appearance by Bill Nye, whom North American audiences have been conditioned to think of in recent decades as a paragon of the wrinkled but dignified Old English codger. Not here. Not by any means. This version of The Little Drummer Girl is available for cost on both YouTube and Google Play. I say this version because there has been a recent six-hour mini-series. Adaptation of the little girl of the little drummer girl, which hopefully will um, correct any flaws in that earlier movie adaptation. This adaptation stars Florence Pugh in the role of the actress recruited by Israeli intelligence, and she stars alongside actors uh, Michael Shannon and Alexander Skarsgard. This adaptation is from 2018, so it's very, very recent, and I haven't seen it yet, although I did, uh, while working, (laughs) forgive me for saying so, run the first episode in the background the other day, and it looks quite good. And the reviews have been quite good as well, so I do look forward very much to seeing it. And I see that it's directed by the wonderful, stylish South Korean auteur Park Chan-wook, uh, who's definitely one of the world's best contemporary filmmakers. So I'm sure it's worth seeking out. It's playing on CBC Gem, the CBC streaming service, where you can watch it for free. Um, although I think it does have, uh, it does come with advertising. And uh, like I said, I am definitely making a note to watch it myself. You know, at the end of the 1980s, of course, the Berlin Wall fell, the Soviet Union unraveled, Glasnost had begun, and the movies had to find a new way of representing Le Carré, whose work is, at least up till that point, mostly associated with the Cold War. And Le Carré himself had to adapt to the new, changing international, international realities and I think they did a good job right off the bat, uh, especially with Tom Stoppard. Uh, an ideal choice, I would say, uh, to adapt. The Russia House in 1990, which uh, which was directed by Australian Fred Shepsey. But it stars Sean Connery, who plays a, a boozy, sentimental, and disheveled, if ultimately quite sympathetic, London publisher who goes to Moscow to meet a character played by Klaus Maria Brandauer, the author of a sensationally revealing or misleading, as it turns out, manuscript about Russian nuclear capabilities. While there, Connery's character falls for the intermediary played by Michelle Pfeiffer. Now, the movie is all, you know, as befitting a An adaptation of Le Carré. It's all, it's all very cerebral. It's, it's a, it's a non action movie, very much not an action film, typical of Le Carré. Though, um, though this film is far more romantic than the usual Le Carré fare. But at the time in 1990, the whole idea of yet another Cold War, or in this case, really post Cold War work seemed just, I think, a little bit out of touch for contemporary audiences, which is a real shame, as I said. As with its surprisingly rich emotional texture, The Russia House is certainly one of my fav- favorite adaptations of Le Carré's work, and especially noteworthy for Sean Connery's superb melancholic performance and for the touching chemistry that both he and Pfeiffer have in the film with each other. Unfortunately, however, having said all that, the Russia house is not especially easy to see these days. But do seek it out, uh, and if you do come across it, please watch it. It's, It's really, really quite good. Superb, in fact. In recent decades, Le Carré had exercised increasing control over adaptations of his work, serving as executive producer on John Borman's energetic, frequently funny adaptation of The Tailor of Panama in 2001, which is something one doesn't always say about Le Carré. Funny, that is. He also served as executive producer on Swedish director Thomas Alfredson's utterly absorbing feature-length movie version of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Ten years later, in two thousand and eleven, but the former title seems to have faded somewhat from memory amid the critical glow that greeted *The Constant Gardener*, a few years after *The Tailor of Panama* came out, which is a shame, since director Bormann nails just about everything correctly in adopting adap- Le Carre's most overt satire, which I think was inspired by the similarly satirical Graham Greene novel *Our Man in Havana*, from many decades earlier. Pierce Brosnan, who was still the movie's James Bond at the time in 2001, was a smart choice, a sexier, more Byronic version of the tailor of Panama's stout and semi-disgraced agent, whom British intelligence, MI6, had exiled to one of Britain's less glamorous outposts. Brosnan plays to his strengths, bringing every bit of charismatic hucksterism out of his character's rather blunt lexicon. Geoffrey Rush stars as well uh, in the wonderful role as the shabby tailor himself, Harry Pendle, who begins making things up after being pressured into working for British intelligence uh, by Brosnan's character and in doing so channeling a bumbling working-class vein of comedy, I think derived from the funny factory of England's Ealing Studios in the 1940s and 50s. As with The Constant Gardener to come, just a few years after, after the Taylor of Panama, the ending here is softened somewhat, but, uh, but it's still very sly nonetheless. Even playwright Harold Pinter shows up, in a bit part, as, as Harry's late uncle, giving him advice from beyond the grave. The Tailor of Panama is, like so many of these adaptations, wonderful viewing and can be reserved in this case from the library as a DVD or for cost on Google Play and YouTube. In 2005, director Fernando Morales brought a new, highly visual, and briskly edited energy to the whole idea. Of the Le Carre adaptation, with his version of the Constant Gardener, which is one part conspiracy thriller and one part love story, much in the vein of the Russia House, for that matter. Told in a complicated, non-linear style that requires close attention from the viewer, the Constant Gardener offers passion, betrayal, a web of paranoia, gorgeous cinematography, stellar performances, and clever wit which I think puts it near the top of any list of the very best Le Carré adaptations. Ralph Fiennes stars as a reserved British diplomat who is drawn to the passion and intensity of a human rights activist played with just the right amount of brio and feistiness by Rachel Weisz, who won an Oscar for Her Troubles, by the way. The chemistry Between fines and vices, I think, even more palpable here than that between Connery and Pfeiffer a decade and a half earlier in the Russia house. And their fiery love story in The Constant Gardener is all the more moving as it is, I think, set against a truly vibrant backdrop of the African countryside. The Constant Gardener fuses their romance with the consciousness of the vast, tragic poverty and disease rampant in Africa, while implicating the arrogance of corrupt politicians, greedy corporations, and the ineptitude of local governments. Also typical of Le Carré in the second half of his career. The Constant Gardener can be borrowed from the library as a DVD. Now, there's no doubt about it. All of Le Carré, whether in his books or in the adaptations of them, is flavored by a sense of disillusionment. A disillusionment with the world at large, especially its ideologies, governments, corporations, bureaucracies, and professional classes. As Peter Bradshaw noted this week in The Guardian, the poet Philip Larkin once said that deprivation was to him what daffodils were to Wordsworth. And he might have added What disillusionment is to Le Carré. Just about the best that one can hope for in his work, and by extension in the adaptations, is a kind of redemptive, shining human decency. If not quite winning out, at least surviving in the end. In 2011, cinema returned to what many consider to be Le Carre's best novel, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. But unlike the original BBC adaptation from 1979, this more recent movie adaptation is now a period piece, superbly and meticulously recreated and demonstrating, and I quote here, a shabby, pompous Britain mismanaging its own decline, in the words of critic Peter Bradshaw. On paper, it shouldn't be easy for a movie adaptation to outperform an excellent miniseries version of the same book, particularly given that the movie has to condense Le Carre's twists, turns, and tension into a shorter package. And yet, this movie version of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is almost as rewarding a viewing experience as the original 1979 miniseries, much because of the excellent cast. Here featuring Gary Oldman, as George Smiley, uh, but also the recently deceased John Hurt, Colin Firth, Tom Hardy, and Mark Strong. You can get The Stinker say Taylor Soldier Spy from the library on DVD. It's also available for cost on YouTube and Google Play. In 2014, Dutch filmmaker Anton Corbyn directed a terrific version of Le Carré's A Most Wanted Man. Now, it will probably always be remembered as the last leading role of Philip Seymour Hoffman, but it deserves ample attention regardless of the tragic fate that befell its star. Unsurprisingly, Hoffman remains a commanding presence throughout the movie, anchoring a familiar premise involving an informant caught between two sides, though the impact of Corbin's precisely paced direction shouldn't be underestimated. A Most Wanted Man is definitely one of the most underrated of Le Carré adaptations, and it too can be borrowed from the library as a DVD. It's also available on Apple TV for a cost. It takes a while for our kind of trader to warm up, but once this 2016 adaptation of the Le Carré novel of the same title kicks in, it becomes a worthy addition to the fold in its story of an everyman professor forced by British intelligence to help a Russian mobster. What's at play in our kind of traitor? Quite quite marvelously, I think, and and very much under the surface, also typical of Le Carré, is the complexity and intricacy that drives human relationships, especially when in heightened circumstances. This is one of the author's great themes. And as is so often the case when it comes to adaptations of his work, excellent casting in Our Kind of Traitor helps to convey that theme. The movie stars Ewan McGregor uh, and Stellan Skarsgård, and it also features Naomi Harris and Damian Lewis to excellent effect. Now, saving perhaps the best for last, or at least one of my very favorites, is the 2017 miniseries adaptation of Le Carré's 1993 novel, The Night Manager. This is contemporary prestige TV at its very best. And in its own way, it's as weighty and satisfying as that BBC adaptation of Tinker Tailor Soldier's by back in 1979. I suppose the most obvious difference between the two is that with The Night Manager, things are far more glamorous, if no less deadly and disturbing. But another thing fairly unique for a Le Carré adaptation is that the plot is somewhat straightforward being all about a conflicted ex-British soldier and later-day hotelier, played charismatically and even sexily by Tom Hiddleston. Sexy, by the way, is a fairly unusual character trait in Le Carré adaptations. I mean that Pierce Brosnan role in The Tailor of Panama, notwithstanding. Shabby and aging being far more typical descriptors of Le Carré protagonists of course. In any case, Hiddleston's ex-soldier is recruited by Olivia Coleman's British intelligence officer to infiltrate the inner circle of an enormously wealthy secret arms dealer and supposed philanthropist, played most magnificently and malevolently by Hugh Laurie. The basic plot line of an outsider recruited by MI6 to perform a dangerous mission is, of course, also fairly typical of Le Carré, as is the seductive and duplicitous world in which he will soon find himself. But what is new here is definitely the sense of wealth and luxury at play, which makes this particular adaptation something akin to a better scripted, better acted, and much more realistic version of a James Bond film. And that's a good thing, I think, especially with its stellar casting, including Tom Hollander and Elizabeth Debicki. And perhaps it's It benefits from uh, most especially the exacting, nail-biting direction of Danish filmmaker Suzanne Bayer. Now, with all that in mind, it's little wonder that The Night Manager won two Emmys and three Golden Globes from a a wealth of other nominations, but it it is really quite fantastic, and I couldn't recommend it more highly. Now, despite, or perhaps because of its opulent sheen, Peering beyond the surface is pivotal in watching the Night Manager, as it would be with any Le Carré adaptation. I said the plot was fairly straightforward, but of course this is still Le Carri, so you know alliances change, double dealing occurs, and conspiracy theories develop thick and fast, and no one is quite as they seem. But everything here in the Night Manager—the spies, the secrets, the scheming, and the sexual dynamics. Make for enthralling viewing. And The Night Manager is certainly among the very best of Le Carré adaptations. Okay, folks, that's all for now. You've been listening to Lockdown Viewing with Co St. Luke Librarian Stephen Tomlinson. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, survey of John Le Carré adaptations of his novels. and that you will uh, join me next time for more recommendations of what to watch and where to watch them. Remember, if you have any comments or questions, you can best reach me at Tomlinson at co or by means of the library's Facebook page, or even by calling the library at 514-485-6900 and leaving a message. All the best, happy viewing, and bye-bye for now.